This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 371 of the Yellow Wallpot. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's likely absence of next year's Champions League after their 2-1 loss against Eintracht Frankfurt, an aggravating performance against Manchester City with an even more aggravating result as Dortmund will have to overcome a 2-1 deficit in the home leg next Wednesday and we will preview tomorrow's match away to VfB Stuttgart. We're here coming to you live on tape on uh, Friday noon. I apologize that uh, we couldn't record something yesterday. Uh, I had it all scheduled and all figured out, but uh, life came in the way. So I'm very pleased that you're still here with me now on uh, this uh, very late date for the recording. Matthias, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Almost all my windows are installed in the house. Got a few more to go today. So that's also part of the reason why yesterday there was no recording. So yeah, sometimes life happens and you need new windows. And there's just never a good day for that. Right, right. So, but no, yeah. it's it's all good. It's all good. We get to talk about such wonderful things today. Yeah, sometimes Windows update just comes into in, in the way, Matthias. Uh, this time it was more physical. You know, but... for some since I'm the dad and you're not a dad, you tell a lot of dad jokes, but I, I applaud that. I applaud that. <laughs> All right, so um, let's leave it there, like Dortmund left Mats Hummels in Cologne and move over to <laughs> game against Eintracht Frankfurt, uh, which uh, obviously was uh, not as much fun, uh, even though ESPN Plus elected this time to show actually both halves of this match. Um, Matthias, we had an interesting uh Starting lineup, let's put it this way. Eden Tessic, I think uh, the hour of desperation called and he put on Schulz as a left back in order to move Rafael Guerrero in midfield. Um, yeah, uh, basically what happened is that Schulz then was the uh, lucky guy to hit the on goal uh, from, I think it was the first uh, Kostic cross of the game in like the, what was it, 11th minute, so very early. Um yeah, uh, what what do you make of this game, this lineup, uh, and everything in, in general? And uh, if possible, stay brief because A, we don't have too much time, and B, uh, do not screw up under any circumstances because I do not plan to edit anything. So everything that, that goes wrong will just stay on. Well, that's good to know. You shouldn't have told me that. Um, <laughs> and no, it, what's frustrating about this game, uh, if you look at just the general match stats, Dortmund were theoretically the better side. And in those first 10 minutes, Dortmund were clearly the better side. They suffocated Frankfurt. Frankfurt got nothing. I mean, they got nowhere. They couldn't get out. It was like a power play. And then that own goal happened. It didn't necessarily change the dynamic but the problem was, the longer the match took, um, 
adult one seemingly got more frustrated and desperate. And Holland really didn't get any serviceable balls. And they got dispossessed in bad positions. Jude Bellingham led, was led in dis, he was dispossessed five times in the center of the pitch. And that, as everybody knows, is probably the worst place to lose the ball. Uh, you know, obviously you're in front of your own goal is really bad, but there you usually lose a possession because you're in transition, you're moving forward and to transition back to defense is then very difficult, especially when you're facing a team that lives off the counterattack. And to me, the desperation stat is always crosses. That's the, for <laughs> me, that shows when a team, uh, 33, Oh. <laughs> Dortmund played 33 crosses. That to, and 57 long balls. Okay? Those are stats that reek of desperation. And you could see it in the game. Um, whenever a team has an exceptionally high amount of crosses, it's desperation. It's because the other team is not allowing them the space. And Frankfurt is a very good team. They are very well coached. They are good in almost every single part of of their game and how they do it. And Dortmund just got frustrated. They could not get it done. Now, shot location, stuff like that is all fine. Again, we will see the simple statistic that uh, Frankfurt attacked Dortmund's right side. This will be a theme when we talk about the next game mm -hmm. we talk about. 41% uh, of all Frankfurt attacks came via Dortmund's right side. During the match, they actually said the statistic that 14 of the goals that Dortmund has conceded have been conceded from that right defensive side. Uh, obviously, teams are like, that's where we're going. That's who we're going after. Nico Schulz was unfortunate. It's kind of, and, and this will be another theme we talk about in Manchester City. You know, Nico Schulz is rightfully a bit of a target also because of the price tag. The price tag's not his fault, okay? No, no. I think uh, Nico if, Schulz if, was a bad decision. From correct, Michel Sorg. correct, and that's yes. that's sort of uh, of the, the chickens coming home to roost, like right this second. Yeah, yeah, and it and it was also at a time when the market for a left back was not good, and Guerrero was possibly leaving, so it was like desperation time. Yeah, and but just, just think Schultz, about that, Matthias, for a second. Yeah. That when the decision was made to sign Nico Schulz, it was under the belief that Guerrero would be leaving, so this would have been our basically starter, and without. A backup basically uh, at least nothing that i can really see pass luck maybe but uh you know don't would be so far worse this season uh, and they are not incredibly great uh to be honest uh if it's nico schultz there all the time and not guerrero at all so just just well, especially in a flat four i mean yeah. that's the thing he was bought from a system and he had a really good time at hoffenheim there's no doubt about it he was very good for them in that wing back role yeah but that's we because Julian Nagelsmann had a special play a developed coach. for him yes correct the problem Dortmund had was they bought a player for a specific type of role in a specific type of system that was not theirs that was also the time when Lucien Favre came Favre does not technically does not play wing backs now obviously we switched to a back three with wing backs and Nico Schulz looked a much better player at that time but what hurts Nico Schulz's perception of course is kind of like of course he's the one who had to score the own goal all right it could have been anybody standing there um, but it had to be him kind of a thing, you know, and we can't forget that 
Guerreros also looked suspect defensively <laughs> multiple times this season. Yeah, okay? I mean, he was the one Our, covering Andre Silva when he scored the winning goal, and he was also nowhere near getting to that Costage cross. But what I will say about the Nico Schulz on goal is that I still think a good keeper would have saved it because Marvin hits yes. with all the yes. effort he did. He was fully stretched out, but I think he just used the wrong the wrong arm he needs to uh, i think in german we call it übergreifen i don't know uh, if if you like crossing over with your arm uh, that makes any sense to you but uh, basically if you use the other arm you have way more force uh, to punch the ball clear and uh, yeah that was i i don't know if he, if he tried to tip it or if he even got his hand to it still but uh, yeah it looked very clumsy and awkward and uh, yeah uh, obviously it's a split split second decision, but so is every goalkeeper decision when you uh, have a shot going to your goal, and uh, it, it was the wrong one. And uh, yep, if we talk about bad decisions, I mean, um, I I still think having Roman Bürki around is maybe not the the most ideal scenario, and maybe uh, we can debate having signed him a couple of years ago was the the right call, um, but basically having a less than ideal goalkeeping situation also led to Dortmund conceding this kind of goal because you know when when you have Marvin Hitzen goal who clearly is the number two goalkeeper and is sort of understood as the backup keeper and if your number one keeper does not perform and everything sort of falls apart on that position um, that's obviously a, a problem and yet another chicken coming home to roost I would say. Well, see, the thing, you know, I'm a Roman Bürki apologist. I know, I, I know, mean, I'm I've, just saying I've it's, it's, no it's adding up that. and it kind of showed, Correct. especially in this game, also with Emre Can as a right back, also not ideal, let's put it this way. Obviously, uh, I think Meunier and, and Moret were both still out, if I'm uh, not mistaken, even though Moret, I think... One was on the bench. Yeah, both were on the still, bench. But still, it was recovering. Yeah. It was recovering. I, I have said I'd rather see Akanji at right back and then <laughs> Chan in central defense. I'll, I'll be honest, I, I think I even said that in the last uh, last Maybe podcast. Because Akanji has played at fullback position and played it well, and he's really fast. And Akanji's positioning is usually spot on. Um, <laughs> well, you, sadly, I mean, no in my notes here, no it says that perfect. he lost a key duel against uh, Luka Jovic. Before yes, he got, he got out physical in a situation. That can happen. Luka Jovic is a powerful striker. And it's always different when someone's running at you than when you're trying to backpedal with them they're always going to out leverage you in situations like that i would challenge mats hummels to deal with that um you know it, it, it's kind of one of those the, that was a, a bad situation where that he just got beat and getting beat can happen but when it comes to open play positioning and speed catching up with someone akanji might be the best one Dortmund have defensively. Uh, but be that as it may, they made the decisions that they did. With Roman Bürki, I've come around to the, yeah, it's time to upgrade at the keeper position. If I look at four seasons, he had two brilliant ones where he was one of the best keepers in the Bundesliga and two seasons where he was not good. And and this is one of those seasons. It's not always his fault. I've spoken about the psychological knock-on effect. If you're if the keeper doesn't trust his back line, he's more likely to make risks, uh, take risks and make mistakes because he's unsure. And then you're caught in two minds. 
And but I agree, Ma, I wouldn't start Mavin Hits. I don't think Mavin Hits is a good starting goalkeeper in the Bundesliga. I think Roman Bukki is a better keeper. And the quote unquote brilliant saves that Mavin Hits has made, if you really look at them, nine times out of ten, they were lucky. Like he gets shot in the <laughs> face, you know, or in the gut, or somehow it gets his knee. There's way more intent with the reflex saves from Roman Bürki than Mavin hits. And that's my opinion. You can disagree with it. That's cool. But if you look at those situations, they're like, oh, brilliant save. It's like, well, you got shot in the face. You know, I mean, that's, <laughs> well, that's different. That's what you used to say about Roman Weidenfeller, too, though. That was his super skill, Yes, basically. but it's Roman Weidenfeller, yeah. okay? He's like, okay, he's he's next to Stefan Klaus, like the untouchable. <laughs> so, um, but no, I mean, Weidenfeller is like a way, prime Weidenfeller versus prime hits is a way better version of hits. They're Obviously. very similar keepers. Roman Bürki is like... I I would say a little bit more well refined keeper overall. Um, but no, he, he, with Bjorki, it's more a psychological thing. And a lot of goalkeepers are head cases. That's no doubt. That's why there's such a gap between world class and everybody else. Because, the, like, like you said, picking the right arm is a mistake or a reflex that's trained over decades into keepers that Manuel Noya doesn't make. He uses the right arm almost always. And that's that's your big difference, you know? And, and you can look at a lot of keepers. They will use the wrong arm in situations. They'll use their dominant arm. Whereas someone like Manuel Noya, Allison, you know, those top, top, top level keepers, they'll use whichever arm is the best for a given situation instinctively based on also their training and their natural reactions to it. So... I agree that was a compounded situation, but be that as it may, Dortmund should have done way better. Yeah. And at this point, with some of the things you have in the squad, you just have to accept that you're not a team that gets clean sheets. All right. So you have to figure out a course of action. What happens when we concede first um, or concede late? Both those things happened. And Dortmund had issues i mean yes obviously there there was the equalizer but then frankfurt just outplayed them as dortmund pressed for the win because dortmund was in a situation where they had to win frankfurt didn't have to win okay a draw was perfectly fine for them and they are so deadly on the counter andre silva after a kind of rough start with frankfurt has bedded in beautifully and is a very, I mean, he has now scored 22 goals versus Holland's 21 goals. And people kind of forget between, everyone talks about Holland and Lewandowski. Everybody forgets Andre Silva scored 22 goals this season. Yeah, I, you know, I, I he read is a tweet of one of, of the best uh, goal scorers in this league. Yeah, I, I think someone, uh, was it ESPN FC tweeted uh, recently with uh, like Harry Kane is the best striker in the uh, in the world right now or in form right now, etc. because Lewandowski is out. And uh, I think it was Tyler Twellman then came up with a list uh, of, of really good strikers in, in form. And Haaland was obviously one of them, but he totally forgot Andre Silva, which uh, if you're basically a pundit of a show that, uh, you know, has the Bundesliga rights, I, I expect you to do better because uh, 22 goals is amazing and he's on a, a really fine stretch of form. And uh, yeah, it's uh, obviously great for Frankfurt. I'm really happy for Frankfurt because uh, they totally deserve this. And uh, if they're in the Champions League, they're probably the only team there that I can actually root for. 
Um, Wolfsburg are just going to crater out as they always do because they're relevant. Uh, Leipzig, I don't care, and Bayern, I don't like. Um, so <laughs> basically, I agree with you there. As a, as a former resident of Hessen who went to Frankfurt games when they were playing in the second Bundesliga, I'm really happy for them. And that fan base especially. Very happy for them. Yeah. No, also Frankfurt as a club, they really turned around. If you think about when Dortmund won the championship in 2011, uh, they played the last game against Eintracht Frankfurt with Christoph Daum as a coach and they got relegated and the only thing uh, Frankfurt were famous for basically was... Uh, Uh, holding up a banner called Randale Meister, uh, if, if you remember that. And uh, I think their fan base had an entirely different image, also problems with uh, a lot of uh, right-wing extremists. And uh, obviously the same thing holds very true for Dortmund. Uh, Dortmund is a neo-Nazi hub, unfortunately. Um, so that uh, is something that, that needs to be worked on. But right now, uh, Frankfurt, the players, the club, the culture, is very outspoken against... Uh, This, these kind of notions, and uh, I'm, I'm think, I, I think Germany and the Bundesliga is better for it. So, um, yeah. But let's return back to the game real quick because uh, you mentioned Haaland. Um, he, I think, in the first half had two really good chances to score. Uh, one was saved by Trapp, and the other one he just put wide in the in the uh, second half. He had another chance, uh, not as prominent maybe, but uh, the the point is that right now he is dried up a little. Uh, maybe regressing to the mean or maybe just uh, not in his, uh, you know, tip-top shape. I don't know. Uh, comes at an unfortunate time maybe, but uh, yeah. Uh, apart from Haaland though, um, I don't remember too many opportunities and to me that's obviously a problem um, that Dortmund have not really managed to uh, find their mojo with without Haaland and uh, have other scoring outputs or at least players that, that can, like, aim a couple of shots at goal. I think we had Guerrero with a couple of shots. We had this one, the hood shot that went over the bar. But otherwise, um, I think Tessic uh, said it pretty well himself that, you know, bad decisions all around. Again, when we should have passed, we took the shot. And when we should have taken the shot, we passed. That's what he said after the game. And I think that's that, that holds very true that um, from a Dortmund perspective, and you just said at the very beginning, uh, in statistics, Dortmund looked, better and i would say um this this was sort of a, a game of wasted opportunities for dortmund because i think especially the hood Yet later again. on in the, in the game you know there there were like three on four situations and stuff like that where dortmund uh, just needed to play one more pass to basically uh, get a 100 or golden opportunity or something like that and uh, yeah just Uh, for some reason, they just couldn't couldn't get it done, uh, and uh, that is obviously credit to Frankfurt's last-ditch defending, which has been excellent, especially considering that they w were without Hinteregger and Hasebe, which obviously are two uh, pillars in their team. But uh, yeah, at the same time, uh, that's just very frustrating because you would expect just better from from Dortmund in in such a clutch game. Yeah, I mean, if we look at shots, uh, and again, it's one of those frustrating games where Dortmund could have, should have won. You know, it's like both Conan matches. Could have, should have won. Uh, if we look at shots, Holland and Guerrero both had four uh, of the 19 shots. Next highest after that was Mats Hummels with three. Uh, of course, he did score one goal. Yeah. And then, you know, it's Chan and Royce with two and then a few onesies here and there. Uh, Hazard, once again, was not present. He was no, on he the pitch, but game. he wasn't. 
present. He had an awful game. Reyna coming in really didn't do anything. Um, the biggest bright spark really the last few year, weeks has been Knauf. Um, and I don't know enough about him. Uh, I think they're encouraging signs. But as a team, it's a discouraging sign if Knauf is like one of your like your best wingers right now are Marco Royce, who's obviously a football senior citizen at this point <laughs> and coming back from injury and a kid that no one's heard of outside of the inner circles of Dortmund in Knauf. Hazard, no. Reyna, no. Obviously, when Sancho is fit again, he'll right. just slot right in. Okay. Obviously. I mean, that's, 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 yeah, no, no kidding. But you would think that uh, Hazard, again, stop, start, season with with the injuries and Gio Reyna who's so you know who had some really good matches but overall is mm, kind of below average at this point um that they're outshot you know that a kid comes up from the second team in Knauf who outshines them I would love actually to see Knauf in the side with uh Mukoko in there because they had played together so I'd, I'd just be curious to see that synergy um but that's that's the problem it's Holland is a little off and when and it can happen but when Holland is off then where are the goals coming from it can't be from Guerrero taking four long shots it just can't that's not no that's not acceptable with the talent in this team Bellingham's not one who takes shots Dahoud isn't I mean yes he'll take a shot but that's not his goal really if your striker's not getting it done your attacking wingers have to get it done and if you're pretty much just have the only reliable one is Marco Royce with all credit to Marco Royce yeah, that's just not enough you know you don't have enough options for scoring whereas then you look at Eintracht Frankfurt well, you know, I mean, Silva and Jovic, each of those can punish you at any given time. And even coming up from the wingback possession, not Erik Durm, um, <laughs> but Kostic is incredibly dangerous, um, you know, and people coming in behind that. But they rely on two goal scorers that rarely fail to deliver. And Dortmund really just only have the one right now until Sancho comes in. I think that will drastically change the dynamic, but that does show the frailties in Dortmund's squad that we all, myself included, thought was better at the beginning of the season than it turns out it is. And if everybody thought that, even all the experts then it, that just sometimes can happen. So those are some of the decisions you just have to make now. And anybody who's now using hindsight and say, oh, I knew back then. No, everybody thought Dortmund had the second best squad in the Bundesliga when it started. Everybody. Well, uh, or let's I, say 99% of people thought this was a good squad and the attacking side. Yeah, I'm going to give talent. last of all people the credit for probably knowing True. a bit more than, than everyone else, but that's because he's the smartest. Um, Again, 99%. He's yeah. the one percenter. Exactly, exactly. Lass is a one percenter. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but in an attacking sense. Yeah, what, what I wanted to say, though, is the uh, the crux of this game maybe a little bit is summed up by the fact that you're basically trying to save your season in the last 10 minutes with Reyna and Hani on the pitch and obviously Knauf for, for uh, 
Hazard and Royce coming off. And uh, yeah, it's it's not really ideal because uh, neither Reyna nor Hanye really have any rhythm. And Ansgar Knauf, I think, uh, in, in this uh, particular game played 27 minutes of his thus far, uh, I think in total 44 in the end, um, before his start against Manchester City. So um, yeah, if we talk about automatism or really, uh, you know, throwing uh, players out there that you hope can make a difference to me more like Hail Mary substitutions where you're just hoping that fresh legs make a difference but it's not uh, exactly that they are such high quality players that they're going to overpower this this uh, Frankfurt team now and obviously then Dortmund were just punished for it uh, in, in, in several ways A, that uh, they once again tried to uh, thread the needle and uh, didn't come off losing the ball uh, uh, I think at Frankfurt's box and then obviously conceding this counter-attack but at the same time, it's not just the midfielders that aggravated me in, in this regard, especially for the uh, final goal, because I think the distances between Dortmund's attack when they are pushing and the, the rest of the team is just far too high. I know that the midfield line uh, basically cancels out offside and it always sort of need to uh, be mindful of that. But at the same time, I think you still need to push a little higher that if you... Um, you know, play this high, you you must have a better counter pressing, and I mean that's a lot to ask for in such a situation in like uh, three minutes before uh, the tie is over, and I'm sure legs are fatigued, and obviously pushing Mats Hummels up high is always a risk because he's just very slow, and Frankfurt have done quick players, but um, collectively. It just wasn't good enough. It was not on a technical level. It was not on a tactical level. And uh, while I think maybe a draw would have been also a fair result and Dortmund could have, should have won this game, uh, you know, we can absolutely not complain about Frankfurt then no. uh, basically having the momentum on their side. And as, as Lars correctly pointed out, you know, uh, Frankfurt totally deserve uh, to be where they are. They now have... Uh, Three losses only compared to Dortmund's 10, and that just speaks volumes. And uh, to conclude this um, Frankfurt segment, um, I just, you know, b because we're heading into the Stuttgart game uh, in the Bundesliga, um, now, obviously, that was the game where Lucien Favre got fired. Right now, obviously, Dortmund are seven points off the top spot. They're closer to 10th place right now than fourth. And... Uh, I did the comparison to Lucien Favre's 19 points in 11 games. He had six wins, one draw, four losses, and a points average of 1.72. Tessic now uh, in 16 games in the Bundesliga, 24 points, seven wins, three draws, five losses, and points average of 1.5. So his is arguably worse than Favre's. And uh, the quote-unquote Tessic table, if you will, measured from his appointment to now, Dortmund are in sixth place behind SC Freiburg. So, um, yeah, obviously hindsight is always 2020, Matthias, even though it's 2021 already. Uh, but I don't really know what to make of the Tessage appointment because there was a little honeymoon period and then came the Cologne game, if you will. And uh, at the same time, it felt like uh, having to let Favre go was absolutely necessary. But yeah, to me, it's, it's a very complicated morass of decisions that uh yeah have me more scratching my head than than anything else really and uh, i'm very short of explanations right now 
Yeah, I mean, there are certain things. Obviously, the loss to Stuttgart was, as we would say in German, ein Offenbarungseid. I mean, that was just abject. It was a team completely, you know, void of any cohesion of confidence and a coach who looked like he had given up on the sidelines. I mean, if you if you watched his body language, it was just pure resignation. And it was it almost that game forced uh Dortmund's hand in needing to make a change. Uh knowing probably at that time that they had already been eyeing Marco Rose after the summer or after the season anyway, knowing they can't get him now, getting an appointment now at a high high enough caliber to be long-term, there just wasn't anybody there, arguably. And so Tezic, I think, has done very well for his level of experience, knowledge, and age, and time in the game. So I will applaud him for that. Um, obviously he's making mistakes because he's naive and he's still learning the craft of tactics and coaching. Uh, he seems to get more of a reaction out of the players emotionally, which I think was, was lacking under Lucien Favre, but there are simple things. My wife's not tactically astute and she's not going to be offended if I say that, <laughs> but you she know, we watched the Dortmund, <laughs> no, so, but we watched the Dortmund games safe Saturday sense. mornings and against Köln, she said, wow, there is just a lot of space between Dortmund's midfield and attacking lineup and the defense. See, she Köln can just walk right through. I'm not needed here, really, because I just <laughs> said the same thing. I'm sure yeah, she said it, it with better words also. She she said it, it She said it um, again against Frankfurt. She's like, wow, it's the same problem like in the match game before. Did they not see that? That when when someone who's not like into tactics or into the sport can spot something so extremely clearly, and I will say this, that would not happen under Lucien Favre. Lucien Favre would not allow that space. Now, the problem with Favre is he wouldn't necessarily me, me move the defensive lineup. He would move everybody else back a little bit. Um, I agree with you that that defensive line needs to move up more to compact that space. Because if you compact that space, then Frank, a lot of Frankfurt's attacks wouldn't have come. I mean, that the the 2-1 would never have happened if there was a more compact space between the two units. Just they would have choked it out. And they did that in the first 10 minutes. Dortmund did that perfectly. And then it all just it kind of stopped. So that's where I believe when uh, Marco Rosa comes in, or any coach, could be any coach starting in the summer, that has more experience, is tactically very astute, that that you won't see. I mean, when you watch Gladbach, even when they were down in form, you didn't see that kind of stuff happen. And that's very basic tactics that Terzic, he just isn't there in his coaching development. He might be one day, but he's not there right now. What I, what bothers me is that I don't know if the problem is Terzic doesn't see it or if the players don't know how to deal with it in game that I don't know. And that's a decision that obviously they can analysis. They can only make themselves. So I, that I don't think anybody knows unless you're actually in that locker room. Yeah. But I'm a hundred percent convinced that they know it. I don't want it's if your wife can see it, I'm sure it has it and everyone else can also see it. I'm, I'm sure they're not obli oblivious to it. And uh, yeah, 
I don't really like like I said I'm I'm short uh, on explanations today for for a lot of things. Um obviously Matthias you said uh, in our uh, very uh, shortened pre-pod talk that uh, this basically means the Europa League uh, if at all because Dortmund wants to have to battle that one out with Bayer Leverkusen slash uh, RB Leipzig uh, if they make it past Kiel in the, in the German Cup I think uh, if you win the cup, you are automatically qualified for the Europa League group stages and don't have to go through the uh, playoff nonsense. But obviously Dortmund still could fall down further uh, in the packing order because they do play Stuttgart next. And that's obviously a mismatch in, in my view. Well, I'll say more about that uh, later. But Matthias, uh, what does um, the uh, failure to qualify for the Champions League next season mean for Borussia Dortmund? Well, it means they're more in a position of possibly needing to sell Sancho and or Holland. Um, also because those players uh, demand Champions League football, which I, I can totally understand. Yeah. Um, not playing in the Champions League one season and playing Europa League, um, it's not the end of the world. Yes, given the pandemic, it hurts financially because obviously any money that they bring in through the sale of Sancho and or Holland, which is going to be in excess of, you know, it's going to be a hundred million plus for each somewhere in there. Um, they're going to have to use a big chunk of that to uh, pay off debts, which every club has debts right now. I mean, look at Barcelona. Okay. <laughs> but that's not a Corona problem. Barcelona. That, that was that. <laughs> That's been years. You don't get a billion euros in debt in one year. Okay, no. that's years in the making. But be that as it may, that that changes the positioning. If it wasn't a pandemic year, not being in Dortmund's perfectly fine financially. They're a very wealthy club. Now they have to balance that a little bit because they're also a publicly traded club. So that means they have different financial parameters with win- with which within which they need to work. Those are English words. Um, the, <laughs> Again, uh, so unedited. It, 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 unedited. That's fine. So it, it hurts a little bit. Also, you know, prestige and stuff like that. But it might not be bad. And here's why. In my opinion, you get in Marco Rosa. And whether it's Europa League, God forbid, Europa Conference League. I mean, if Dortmund don't get in Europa League, I just assume they don't play in Europe. Okay. They then um, Europa Conference League, I've said, okay, fine. It may not be bad because then you can test a lot of things and nobody really cares. (laughs) And that may still be true because you bring in someone like Marco Rose. Think of Thomas Tuchel, his first season, Europa League. They weren't in the Champions League and it helped them build a cohesive side tactics. They played very well. They played very well in the Bundesliga. Um, And then they got back into the Champions League pretty easily for the next season. I think that same scenario can happen. Um, And that was also a transition time for Dortmund then as it is now. So it's not the end of the world. Financially, Dortmund will still be perfectly fine. Um, You know, the, the whole pandemic world will change with, you know, within the next 12 to 18 months, hopefully. And also financially, things will balance themselves out a little bit more. So I, it's annoying to not be in the Champions League, but maybe Dortmund can win the one tournament they haven't been able to win in all their history because they've won the Cup Winners' Cup, they've won the Champions League, they've obviously won the Bundesliga, they've won the German League and the DFB Pokal. This is the one that they haven't won yet. So it kind of 
be cool to win it. I mean, we said the same thing under Tuchel. It'd be like, it'd be kind of cool to win this one now. So with that, I it's not the end of the world. It's a bummer. But I'm not like, yeah, I'm perf- I'm fine. And I think it could play to Rose and Dortmund's advantage in the long run. Yeah, we'll sh- we shall see because obviously a lot of decisions going forward have to be gotten right this time. Uh, because if that trend continues and we'll like be a team of 11 Meniers at some point, then uh, yeah, then... Uh, will maybe have the same fate as Werder Bremen once did, even though maybe less extreme, but obviously Bremen at some point, you know, played Champions League quite regularly and then over a long extended period of time, they just uh, fell down the pecking order until they battled relegation and are now basically in Bundesliga no man's land. That's something that can happen to any club, um, also Dortmund, so uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a very interesting period going forward, especially with Michel Zorc quitting. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that uh, uh, all uh, pans out. But in the meantime, Matthias, there's still a little bit Champions League left to be discussed because Borussia Dortmund indeed did not get hammered, as I predicted, 5-2 in the Champions League. I feel like Dortmund are very anachronistic to whatever I expect. When I expect them to play poorly, they uh, magically pull out a performance out of their behinds. And if I expect everything to go well now, uh, they play like they did against Cologne. Um, so basically, um, it's a it's a, a built-in guarantee that I'm always wrong. But uh, that's just uh, my fate. In the meantime, Matthias, it was a 2-1 loss away to Manchester City, um, a Manchester City team that I expected to be way better than they were, to be honest, uh, but also at the same time, I expected Dortmund to be way worse than they were. And uh, before anything else, I think uh, we can talk about the, let's let's say, first event of the game, which uh, was obviously uh, a big controversial event with which uh, which was uh, I think it was Jude Bellingham getting that booking right in the 30 no wait no hold on Kevin De Bruyne scored in the 19th minute uh we obviously should mention that it was a big screw up by Emre Can but then Matthias I'm just gonna gloss over that Emre Can screw up because that's almost automatic now in the Champions League uh but then Jude Bellingham uh Got fouled, scored a goal, nevertheless, uh, no goal and a booking for Jude Bellingham. What happened there? Well, what happened was um, that uh, a really, really bad refereeing team took charge of this. A team that doesn't regularly referee high-quality matches. Um, and that's that's always been a constant theme when it comes to this kind of stuff. Also in the World Cups, where you get referees out of countries or leagues where you're like, okay, they don't really deal at this level. So why are we giving them something so important? Um, that was a, a Manchester City player cheating again and lying. Um, I think uh, Rodri pulled the same crap mm-hmm. right around that time. Um, you know, it, em- Ederson embellished. He screwed up. He clearly fouled Jude Bellingham. And the problem was the referee blew the play dead before it finished. 
Had he waited for the play to finish and Bellingham scored and they then went back to VAR, which they review every goal, they would have seen that Ederson was the one who committed the foul, Bellingham did nothing wrong, and Dortmund would have scored the goal. So, with that being said, it was a complete screw-up by the referee. Now, of course, we had the whole penalty situation that wasn't a penalty, um, where they did change things. I can't remember. Did they actually rescind Chan's no. booking in that no. situation? No, right? Because he, no. he got the booking not for the foul that was alleged, but for complaining, and that's uh, irreversible, apparently. But, even if you complain about... But that's about, stupid. Yeah, even if you complain about uh, <laughs> having a penalty awarded against you uh, wrongfully, even even then. That's idiot. That's asinine. That's that's that is complete, completely asinine. <laughs> so many rules need to be completely reworked. I mean, like the handball rule that needs to be completely reworked. Um, but that that as well. I mean, he complained because he was unjustly penalized. And you can't rescind that when it was turned out that you were unjustly penalized. That's that's stupid. That's like getting a speeding ticket, and it turns out you didn't actually speed, but you still got the ticket on your record. You know, it's like it's it's a weird thing. Well, I you mean, didn't have to pay the to, fine, to, but to you got be the fair, points. It's like you insult the policeman, and then you have the speeding ticket rescinded, but the insult penalty still stands <laughs> you know if a booking gets issued for every time a footballer insults a referee there wouldn't be a single player on a pitch let's be honest there i mean they get abused non-stop and you don't even have to be good at lip reading to know what's being said to these match officials but this was just a ref who was completely overwhelmed by the situation i read that uh one of one on the refing team has now been suspended in romania mm -hmm. because after the game he asked for holland's autograph yeah that's uh, so he's Octavian been like Zofre, i think is his name correct. and he, he's a linesman yep. and apparently he's getting uh autographs from high profile players after every champions league game or so and then uh i think donates them to a foundation that uh helps people with autism if i if i've read it correctly i mean that's that's great but that's not the way to go about it no, it's it's still you it's know? still deeply unethical to do that it, it just is a bad Correct. look uh, you know it's yeah i mean i mean i i really like that uh, the the notion and i think helping people with autism is very noble uh and obviously a very complicated thing to do uh i've uh, i was uh, working in elementary school, helping a 10-year-old kid with autism uh, through life and trying to integrate him in the classroom. And uh, it is not easy at all. So um, the, the cause is a great cause and I fully support it. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's just unethical because it it, it just uh, brings up sort of, you know, maybe maybe he's biased. You know, just not not saying he is, but uh, it, it it just leaves a very bad taste in your mouth yep. as the entire refereeing I mean, I don't performance think he, did. Yes, I don't think he's biased at all. I think he'd be biased if he was selling it on eBay. Then <laughs> absolutely, he was biased. I think this isn't. I don't. I don't think it affected his judgment, and he wasn't even the problem. Okay, let's be honest. The guy with the problem was the guy with the whistle. Right. I mean, that was bad. That was a bad performance. Um, and I, what I'm happy about is Marco Royce finally scoring another Champions League goal for the first time in almost three years to be Dortmund's number one Champions League goal scorer. Uh, he has 20, 
no, 18 goals now. And Lewandowski had 17. They were tied. So it's good that Marco Reus has surpassed Lewandowski in that statistic. The more we can relegate Lewandowski, the better at this point. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a beautiful goal. I mean, if if we, uh, you know, I obviously I could go on, on uh, rants for ages why uh, Dortmund were absolutely stolen. And it, it totally sucks for Jude Bellingham, the 17-year-old kid. It would have been such an amazing story for him to to score against Manchester City and I think it would have been also wholly deserved and uh, would have rewarded Terzic for his um, uh, tactical ploy to put Terz, uh, to put Bellingham up further ahead uh, something that uh, Constantine criticized a little bit because it meant Dortmund were sometimes outmanned uh, in midfield which obviously is a <laughs> key area um, but nevertheless in a couple of moments uh, that helped also when uh, Dortmund scored uh, the then equalizer um, because it was a pass from Emre Can to the, adver- uh, to the somewhat further positioned Jude Bellingham I'm really glad I'm not editing this at all <laughs> um, because uh, yeah, that that was uh, that was a nice goal. Also, the assist from Haaland, um, and uh, yeah, very well taken shot. I think um, uh, it would be great if Dortmund managed to create these kinds of uh, goals more often, and also find someone like Royce in exactly that position. Because Marco Royce has not been scoring a lot of goals, and seeing him uh, deliver on on uh, such a stage is is very important for for the club for the entire identity. I think. Uh, of himself as a captain and uh yeah it, it 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 was it was really time to score that goal and uh yeah really gave Dortmund some hope I would even say I don't know if they can convert uh a 2-1 deficit into uh a tie that that helps them progress to the semi-final I have no idea um but yeah uh, I think it, it it's striking that Dortmund in this game against Manchester City were tactically sharp enough um, to hold off the worst and that they did that with uh, Ansgar Knauf in the starting 11 who really had his first cap at all uh, for 19 And who led old. the team in tackles by the way. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite amazing and obviously uh, Morey was back as a right back which I think was a very important factor and then obviously uh, John uh, Bellingham and Dahoud in midfield was a good combination even though obviously Emre Can uh, with that one pass really really made it very easy for Manchester City to uh, score on Dortmund that was obviously still uh, still something Dortmund could have fixed but it was really uh, misfortunate Uh, and when we talk about the referee his positioning was also terrible the entire time I feel like he was cutting off passing lanes for Dortmund as well so uh, I don't know if that played a big factor or not but uh, it certainly did not help so, um, Matthias, how did you see Ansgar Knauf in his very first performance as a starter, as a 19-year-old, basically Dortmund youth product? Well, he, like I said, I mean, he he led the team in tackles. Um, he was not dispossessed very often. Jude Bellingham led the team with being dispossessed four times, which I didn't realize until I looked at the stats. Because he which was still so against ha- Soya. Yeah, and which against Manchester City actually isn't that bad. Um, his his getting dispossessed five times against Frankfurt that was a bigger issue. But uh, Ansgar Knauf did well. He presented. 
uh, Joao Cancelo, who is basically his opposite at the left back side, uh, and Ruben Diaz, who I believe was on the left side of defense. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of problems. I mean, Joao Cancelo and Ruben Diaz, you could argue, probably had one of their worst games with Manchester City. And even the commentators, who are always massively Premier League biased because they're English, even said so. I said, these guys are having a really bad game. And Dortmund capitalized on that. They pressed intelligently at the right time, and Ansgar Knauf did his job very, very well. It's very nice to see. Now, again, it does lead me to the whole, I'm a little troubled because the theoretically better or more experienced players are not being considered, but this kid is. So that either means he's really good or the other ones have really regressed a lot, and that that kind of I, I think both adds is to the true. complications. He is the most informed yeah. player and also Dortmund are desperate at the same time. I think these are not yeah. mutually exclusive uh, takes on, on this start because obviously starting a player that to this date had 44 minutes of senior team minutes is just by definition a desperate move in the Champions League quarterfinal but at the same time neither Torgen Hazard nor Gio Reyna nor Rangier made any impression and we haven't even talked about Julian Brandt, uh, that they were better options. I always forget about him. Yeah. I always forget Julian Brandt. <laughs> even before we talked about Frankfurt, who should start it? I completely forgot he's on the roster. And that says everything. Yeah. That yeah. says absolutely everything. And the one thing that says everything is, you know, I, I think I mentioned it, you know, that Frankfurt launched 41% of their attacks over Dortmund's right side. Manchester City did it 45 times, 45% of the time. That was their focus was Dortmund's right side, Dortmund's right side, which obviously is Knauf's side, which also then leads to the fact that he led the team in tackles with four. Jude Bellingham was after that with two. All makes sense. And, 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 and Manchester City tried to overload that side time and again, time and again, time and again. Foden played brilliantly. Phil Foden was by far the best player on the pitch for um, for Manchester City. Led the team in shots, um, was one of the top tacklers, and the top uh, in dribbles. I mean, he was fantastic. He wasn't good at finishing. <laughs> Let's put it that way. He, he should have scored at least one more um, for, for Manchester City, uh, given his opportunities. But they tried to overload Dortmund's right side. It worked a few times, but they couldn't quite get the finishing product until, of course, they did. Yeah, so... Here, I'll, I'll leave that one up to you, Stefan. Yeah, here, here's the problem that I have, and it's it's kind of um, annoying me a little bit, because on the one hand, um, Mark Roy scored after the substitutions were made, right? Uh, I think he brought on uh, Delaney for the hoot, and he had Simonyi replace Moray because it was the 81st minute, and uh, that's apparently the players you pick. But I would have gone in an entirely different direction. Um, first of all, I would have not brought on Gio Reyna in the 63rd minute for Ansgar Knauf. I would have stuck with Hazard, to be honest. But um, I think the overloading the right side thing issue was quite prevalent. I saw it happen during the game, and I thought this is an issue you need to address in which... Uh, is what I basically did when I said, um, you know, when Munir came on, I was like, yep, well, the tuner is basically incoming now because I thought um, this is going to break our neck very quickly. And uh, I mean, it did happen. It was another overload. I think it was Gunuan and Foden, basically two against one against Munir. Uh, we uh, 
obviously can talk about his positioning and reading of the cross, and I still think he could have done better, but uh, uh, be that as it may, he is Thomas Meunier, he makes positional mistakes, which is uh, what was obviously noted in his scouting report before uh, Dortmund side him, so uh, all that was known, especially in the Champions League, Meunier is uh, uh, happy to screw up, we all know that he got a yellow card against Dortmund without knowing he would get suspended, I think, and uh, he was an idiot, or sent off, I don't even remember, but uh, yeah. So, um, all that being said, um, I would have not opted for Meunier in, in this situation. I would have brought on Lukas Pischek, who has tons of experience, and I'm fairly confident that uh, his physical strength and uh, stamina will he- will hold for nine minutes of regular time, and uh, to help him out, I might have even put on pass luck there, uh, just, just so that you have a more numerical advantage, and I would have said, screw the... Uh, offensive thing but the problem is uh that's only something i would have said and done after marco roy scored the equalizer because before it's a bit of a different game you kind of sort of need that goal and uh yeah uh also when you bring on both pischek and Paslak, you just know the ball retention on that side is also not great and you are susceptible to other kind of things so um yeah it's it's very difficult against Manchester City but um before I say anything else I just want to praise Dortmund for the ball retention they had against City um I think I I personally was very surprised to see Manchester City not pressing Dortmund as hard as uh, they can um they were not the quickest ball winners which is unlike them usually uh you know they want to win the ball back immediately but Dortmund I think um, afforded themselves a couple of breathers in this game by just stepping on the ball and passing it around, even though Tessic said before the game he was not planning on doing that, and uh, the uh, uh, starting of Ansgar Knauf also suggested otherwise, and we've all seen these games where Dortmund basically win possession and then uh, right with the first touch try to pounce it forward and uh, hit any team on a counterattack and uh, if this breaks down, they're under constant pressure. So uh, avoiding that, I think, was very important. And uh, having that sort of spatial positioning to do that um, is a positive. So uh, while we were harping on the Stormont side for a very long time, I think uh, being able to do that against Manchester City in the Champions League and uh, sort of doing it with relative ease and calmness speaks not for City but it does speak for Dortmund and uh, I want to press them there because uh, that really uh, meant that they could keep the result rather close and arguably should have had a draw and a 2-2 draw obviously uh, means something entirely else than a 2-1 loss uh, because as Hummel said after the game uh, if you are basically automatically going through when the game kicks off instead of having to at least score a goal uh, it's an entirely different situation. Marco Royce said after the game that tactically they showed a good performance. And uh, I think Hummels then with the criticism, you know, that we showed the kind of performance today that uh, should we, that we should show every three days, he said. It's not about making a step forward, but staying on that level also against Frankfurt and Schuttgart. Right now we're very picky when it comes to top performances. So, um, yeah, that kind of sums it all up, and which is why I said in the intro that... Uh, You know, it was an aggravating performance. Maybe not because Dortmund were playing poorly, but, uh, you know, seeing this team play so well 
you know, this team that screwed up massively against Cologne and uh, so many other games. Uh, it's it's just really aggravating and annoying and vexing. So yeah, that's it is what it is. But uh, at least Dortmund have some hope for the second leg. Obviously, if it were filled Westfalen Stadion, I'd be very optimistic. Actually, uh, right now in front of an empty stand, I don't know. Uh, it just doesn't give me the uh, the Champions League goosebumps, if you will. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll see. What, what happens i'm looking forward to it it's at least something uh, uh we can talk about i'll have uh, another guest on uh on monday to preview this particular game so please look out for that matthias um what else do you want to say on this champions league tie before i move on to the stuttgart segment of this show well i'd like to echo what you said i mean um What's frustrating about this performance is don't want to have Undertezic have these performances. Think of Leipzig. Think of both matches against Sevilla. They are capable of doing it against exceptionally good quality opposition, but then they don't um, too often. So they're cap- if a team isn't capable of it, like Schalke, okay, <laughs> you know they're just not capable of playing well. And you're like, yeah, okay, fine. What, so what they lost. At this point, you just accept it. the most extreme examples? First, Barcelona, the most <laughs> because in club, and now Schalke, the, the worst well, in that because first team. Anytime, team. anytime I can poke at them, it just fills my heart with so much joy. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> it's called Schadenfreude, and I deserve it. No, they or they deserve it. No, but it's it's just frustrating in that that aspect. You know, they can do it, and then they don't. So. Yeah, that's that's annoying and uh manchester city you and i kind of after the game uh on whatsapp message message back and forth and it was like we both felt that they played very it was like arrogant yeah it, it was you even said like Dortmund against Köln. you know it's like <laughs> ah, we're gonna win this one they're not that really that good you know they're a little bit down in form we're manchester city we just basically have to show up you know kind of like barcelona with a four nil lead and <laughs> um <laughs> And then, and then that happened. And I believe it can happen again in Dortmund. I think it can absolutely happen because Pep Guardiola is a, a very good, great manager, tactical mind, but he's also deeply arrogant. And so that can get the better of him. And that does happen to some of these really top level coaches who win a lot and are great and applauded all the time that they, and he's known for getting in his own head. And I think this result and performance, because remember a two, one win at home in the champions league tends to be one of the most dangerous score lines because the opposition only has to score once. And you're like, Oh crap, we have to score twice now at least and hope we don't concede again because we concede again you know then then things really can start to snowball so i i think there's absolutely hope do i think Dortmund will advance no i think Manchester City are just too good but um i won't give up hope i'll be honest i was surprised by this and the problem is i think we could see a not so great performance on saturday uh as a result of where the focus now all of a sudden is like if if Dortmund would have lost four nil i think stuttgart's in in trouble but because it's close and you're like oh wow we could actually advance to the semifinals of the Champions League against uh, PSG at that point. <laughs> um, <laughs> Had to get that anywhere in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, of course, of course. You can't. You just, come on. Could you blame me? No. So uh, it it just. But to be fair, Bayern are not as good yeah. this year. 
quality no, wise. No, as I mean Flick also said they're they're significantly worse. They're just a horrible trash team. Yeah. So yeah, and it's all Brazzo's fault. Yes. So idiot. Uh, but up. that all being said, I do agree with you. Um, I'm concerned about Stuttgart. So we can move on. Let's segue. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's a mismatch. We've seen it before. Stuttgart are a team that can transition very well. They have a lot of fast players, and uh, that's going to be maybe another paddling for Dortmund. I don't know. Uh, the maybe saving grace here is that Stuttgart, who are right now 8th in the Bundesliga, uh, on 39 points, so not too far behind Dortmund. They are 6th in the away table. However, they are 10th in the home table. Their top scorers are Kalajic with 13 goals and Vama Gituka with 11. Unlike Dortmund, they have actually two scorers in double digits. But uh, Vama Gituka right now is out because he tore his ACL, I think, against Bayern. It was in that 4-0 dropping they conceded after Davis, I think, got sent off. Um... That being said, also out is uh, Mangala, who extended his contract today, if I am uh, correctly informed, who I think also played rather well in that 5-1 win. Um, uh, that reminds me, we still have to mention the uh, secret contract extension of one uh, Manuel Akanji. Um, yeah, and for Dortmund, Ansgar Knauf is doubtful after getting a knock in maybe one of those four tackles against Man City, uh, but is likely to play, and otherwise I think everyone who uh, was fit against the Man City game uh, will also be fit for Stuttgart. Obviously, I don't know in, in what kind of form. Uh, I'll also point out that Manuel Akanji is on his fourth booking. And uh, I mean, this is the sort of game where you kind of foresee that your fastest centre-back maybe commits a foul here or there and uh, gets that fifth booking and then would miss automatically against the Bremen in the Bremen game. The other match then, I think, after the Bremen game is the midweek game against Union Berlin. So we'll see how that all is being handled, managed. Just wanted to point it out there. So, um, Matthias, a very tricky tie for Dortmund. Um, if they want to have any quote-unquote rest hope to overcome that seven-point deficit, really everything has to go well for them now, right? So, sh so Frankfurt now needs like a crisis coming out of nothing and Dortmund must waltz over every team in the Bundesliga, which I personally, I just don't see, uh, not after uh, 27 rounds of this crap. So, um, yeah, what are we going to be, what are we going to expect in Stuttgart where I think traditionally Dortmund have never looked all that great? Just thinking about that Mark Badra, Roma Bucky misunderstanding and just shuddering. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we're going to see another 4-4. Four, four, um, well, that was type, home. That was type. home. That was home. That's true. But still, um, you know, this Stuttgart side is very, very good. Granted, they collapsed against 10-man Bayern. I mean, in, in almost yeah, but, comical fashion. But they always collapse against Bayern. That's, that's like true. But still, but still, that's, that's kind of one of those where I'm like, mm, okay, you had a man up, you're good in form but the lot not having silas um who i think is one of the best young players in the bundesliga by far and i would love to see him in black and yellow honestly right um 
I think that really does hurt them on their counterattack. It's going to be, I, I don't think it's going to be a pretty game. I think it's going to be another one of those games. Dolman has the possession. Dolman has the shots. Like statistically, Dolman's the better side. And then somehow they still don't win. You know, I mean, it just have that feeling in terms of Champions League. Uh, it was a must win against Frankfurt. Had Dortmund not lost, I think, a draw, then I'd still have some hope. Six points. I think you could you could do that, especially since you still play some of the teams ahead of you. But that that was a match that should have been won by losing it. I just don't see any hope. If anything, they can maybe ruin <laughs> The fortunes of who finished second, uh, third, or fourth, because I think at this point, Bayern are going to win the whole thing. Um, And if it's not Frankfurt beating them for the title, I kind of hope they win the whole thing, because I don't want Wolfsburg to win another Bundesliga title, and I don't want Leipzig to ever win a Bundesliga title, so... I think it's all about Europa League at this point. And given the the main competition for the Europa League spot is really, when you look at the table, is Bayer Leverkusen. Knowing that Bayer Leverkusen can occasionally be susceptible to slightly collapsing. Um, what do you I, mean by you know, slightly? <laughs> like all the time. Um, I think uh, I think Dortmund have very good chances of getting the Europa League spot. And as as such, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, this is a must win game uh, for for both of these sides. Frankfurt, uh, sorry, Stuttgart a little bit less than Dortmund. Um, but, you know, Stuttgart also don't want to just ride out the season and kind of fall apart because that can have a bad knock on effect. Uh, Typhoon Kokut. Uh, but I mean, know, they are promoted side, and I think sitting yes. in eighth, they are very comfortable with uh, where they are, and they, I don't think they have tons of pressure going into this game. Meanwhile, Dortmund will feel no. a lot of pressure. Anyway, I'm just going to point out that uh, Frankfurt play in the next two games against Wolfsburg and Gladbach, and I know Frankfurt are a very good team, but uh, so are Wolfsburg, and maybe Marco Rose does us a favor, and if Dortmund theoretically win the next two games. Then it could be a one-point game uh, or one-point run in the final five uh, games of the season. So I wouldn't completely rule it out, even though uh, Frankfurt still have the uh, luxury of the automatic win against Schalke, which Dortmund do not have. Um, But, I mean, it's very unlikely, and I agree with you, but I'm not saying it's 100% impossible more like 99%. Maybe maybe we need smart last to figure that one out, but uh <laughs> yeah, just just wanted to uh drop that one out there. I agree. I agree. Our our ray of sunshine our 1% or last. He will definitely say <laughs> Dortmund will absolutely make the Champions League because that's yeah. Yeah, no, especially last probably... predicted from the outset that Dortmund <laughs> yes. would finish fifth. <laughs> I know, I know. And God, isn't that going to be galling when we all have to eat crow? Uh and he's like, "Yay, I'm right, but I'm not yeah. really happy about it." <laughs> yeah. Smug yet unhappy last. Anywho. So anyway, <laughs> moving on. This is already, we've already recorded over an hour. Yeah. So um, quickly, Akanji. Akanji. Yes. Uh, contract extension. I really like it. I think uh, he's a very good central defender. And so I'm happy to see him continue on at Borussia Dortmund. Yeah. I think uh, his trajectory is looking uh, positive. I think uh, he was uh, criticized, sometimes criticized too harshly, but. Uh, I think he had it coming in in other times, but I think 
for the most part, he has overcome whatever uh, was bothering him with his hip, hip injury. And I think uh, he, as a player, has improved. And as Lars, I think, said himself on Twitter, uh, he pretty much brings everything you want in a modern centre-back. Um, maybe there's a bit more consistency to be uh, hoped for, but nevertheless, uh, adding at least another year uh, helps Dortmund. I mean, Dortmund are... Uh, heavily linked with uh, a million centre-backs right now. Obviously, uh, Zagadou, you don't know what his future is. Uh, same with Hummels, not getting any younger. And uh, we've talked about the space between uh, Dortmund's defensive line and the rest. Uh, I think that also has something to do with Dortmund trying to compensate for Hummels' pace. So um, as much as I like Mats Hummels uh, and think he can maybe achieve Dortmund legend status, I don't know. Uh, that depends on how you feel about this move to Bayern Munich. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, I I, th I think there is going to be a transition away from him also, not too far in the future, unless, of course, the uh, politics in sport uh, have a different notion. Uh, you know, he's still a very powerful player in that locker room and, uh, you know, he has a lot of upside still. You know, his... Build-up play is quite amazing. His positional play is really good and uh, all that. But I, I think at some point the lack of pace is just too much to bear, especially for a team that, that needs to push high up by default because if you're one of the top teams in, in football, that's what you do. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a, it's a nice uh, banker to have a country there. Let's put it this way. Um, so... Yeah, it's it's also interesting that these things now apparently happen in secret and then just randomly get leaked uh, at some point. I'm I'm not quite sure what's up with that and uh, why uh, they don't like to hype or announce their their players. I I also don't know exactly what that extension was about because I think he only added one year to his deal, right? So it's not like a five year long term commitment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's just what it is. But it's good to have it and yes. to have that have at least like one one construction site's been taken care of, <laughs> you know, and I agree with you. I mean, his best years, if you look at the development of players and age and stuff like that, are actually still ahead of him, yes. you know, because central defenders tend to get better later than a lot. It's like goalkeepers. They tend to mature later in their age development uh, than other ones. I mean, Sergio Ramos, as much as I don't like the guy he's still even at an quote-unquote advanced age a really good central defender so uh that's that's good to see um with akanji and uh i agree with you on Hummels. who knows one two three more years and then go play for inter miami yeah i i honestly don't know what, what what's uh going to happen with Hummels. that's it, it it can be so that by the time by this time next year he's not even a starter anymore, or it could be that he is still a rock in defense. Yeah, it, it can go either way. Depends on a little bit on uh, how much motivation he can find. It depends on, uh, obviously, what happens with Rose and how, how he assesses the situation and, obviously, what alternatives Dortmund can acquire. <laughs> so, a lot of moving factors. Um, Matthias, um, I would be remiss to ask you for your Twitter handle before uh, you leave a prediction. So please do that now. So the prediction would be, 
I'm going to go against my gut and oh, be boy. optimistic and say Dortmund are going to win 3-2 and Haaland scores two goals and smiling again and Twitter can finally shut up about him leaving after the season, at least for 24 hours. And my Twitter handle is at, at Matiasuk. Very well. I'm not quite sure because I feel like there's... Uh... I'm 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 overthinking this one because on the one hand Dortmund would usually now throw this game because of course they would after a great Champions League performance but because everyone expects them now to play poorly maybe then they surprise again by having another good game and then screwing up against Man City. <laughs> so basically the question is not if the screw up comes but when it comes uh Will it be against Stuttgart? Uh, I don't know, but I also am not really feeling Dortmund winning this uh, convincingly or uh, anything of that such. So um, I'm just going to go with my gut and saying if I predict a 2-2, which I'm doing now, maybe this will help Dortmund win it. You know, what I'm trying to do here, I'm just trying to out-jinx the jinx. I don't know if it works for a second time, but... uh, not for lack of trying. Anyway, Matthias, uh, thank you again for coming on for this uh, one hour and 11 minute now uh, long session of Yellow Wallpot. Uh, we shall be back, as I said previously, on Monday uh, with more. Until then, please find us and subscribe to our podcast, if you will, on YouTube or iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. And you can follow all of us at Yellow Wallpot. You can follow me at Chef Botsko, by the way. I don't know if you mentioned that. Whatever. And uh, yeah, as always, thank you for listening and good. <laughs>